This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio. This is Counterculture. I am Marie, and my next guest is author, advocate, and survivor, Gloria Masters, uh, writer of An Angel's Wing, My Flight from Trauma to Grace. Welcome back to uh, RCR. I know our lovely Natalie spoke to you. You have got a really fascinating story, and I just wanted to go into that further, and then I wanted to talk about some of the work that you've been doing very, very recently. So good morning and welcome, Gloria. Hi, Marie. <laughs> to meet you. Thank you so much for hosting me, and um, I'm beyond grateful because although my story is unusual, I've managed to emerge through it and am able to give back and create things that help support other survivors and also protect our children. So very excited to be here today. Mm. So how did it all start with you? Because you, you, you've you said this, it's, it's unusual. So walk us through your journey. Yes. So look, I was born into a family where child sex trafficking uh, was known and generational. For the first 16 years of my life at the hands and initiation of my father, I was sex trafficked. So I was abused by him, his extended family and friends, and then trained by my grandmother, his mother, to be the best child sex worker I could be. I was leased to gangs here in New Zealand, Freemasons. I experienced satanic ritual abuse. I uh, suffered through many, many child sexual abuse material information, including videos, over 100 of those, and many photographs being taken. They were very big earners for my father. I was leased out of a nightclub in K Road in the top floor as an 11-year-old. I was chained to a bed up there and their men and women would pay to have my services. The reality was there wasn't a living person or adult around me who was interested enough or cared enough to see the distress I was in. My mother was complicit in that she was a very severe wounded narcissist, so I wasn't actually a person or a child to her. And in fact, Marie, if I could sum it up in one sentence, to her, I was always just in the way. Mm. So my father had open season, so he exploited, manipulated, used and abused me for all of those years and made a great deal of money. Mm. So, so, the, so that's a really a complete dehumanisation. I mean, you were relegated to, to that of a product, not a person. Thank you. Excellent point. To my parents, I was an object. So when you think about it, if I'm considered to be on the level of a pen, a pen is not asked how it is, nurtured, loved, fed, or considered. A pen is just picked up and used when needed. So to my parents, I was not a beautiful child, which all children are. 
I was an object and so that meant I wasn't seen and you can imagine the trauma once I emerged through those 16 years. So how did you get out? I mean, as you said, through those 16 years, when for you, were you able to escape from this? I was able to escape the day I turned 16 because my parents had separated and then divorced when I turned 11. And the day I turned 16, I could choose who to live with and I had autonomy over where I was. So I chose never to see my father again and I never willingly did. So you went so you went off with your mum. And and I mean it sounds like she wasn't exactly uh as you mentioned before, not the, the most caring type. So I'm picking that you would have been a pretty independent minor at that point. Well, they when they separated at eleven, Marie, I was left with my father. So I was left with my father and brother. And although the first, the prior 11 years had been horrendous, as I've described, this new nightmare was to take a completely different turn because Mm. there was no adult female in the house anymore. Yeah. Did, Did your father ever come to justice over this? No. I launched a, took it to the police in my 30s. And they um, they had seven detectives on the case, and they were at pains to point out because a family, an extended family, of course, denied anything. I was uh, I didn't they didn't have the burden of proof, and they were at pains to point out it was not that they didn't believe mm. it was just the burden of proof was not met. So you, yeah, it sounds like that you may not have been the first person that they have had to deal with in this situation. Mm. I spoke with Denise Ritchie a few weeks ago and uh, we talked about the New Zealand landscape since the decriminalisation of prostitution. So the thing that concerns me now is that your situation would have happened prior to that decriminalisation. But since that decriminalisation, have things in this country improved in regards to child sex trafficking and sex work or gotten worse? from what you've been able to see with your advocacy work? I would say generically every every act of child sex trafficking is a crime scene. There is no minimising or or kind of sanitising that. There are no conditions established for children because apparently it doesn't happen here. But the reality, as we know, Miriam Akamo did an expose on this five weeks ago on Sunday on human slavery and trafficking, including child sex trafficking. This is beyond what anyone can imagine. Why? Because it's the biggest global earner. It's overtaken the drug trade, uh, the UN site, as being the biggest earner globally. So this this ain't going nowhere. We haven't seen anything yet, Marie. Mm. We've got online grooming of children. We've got sextortion of children through online, through laptops, games, etc. There's uh, there's a whole lot coming, and we need to prepare for that. So, in answer to your question, I would hope that that decriminalisation 
made a difference for the beautiful sex workers out there who are just doing their job. But I don't know because I, I'm not in that, in that space. So I don't want to say, and uh, but I, I would I would hope so, but I don't know. As for children, people should just be locked up. Mm. So what are the sort of numbers? Because uh, unfortunately, New Zealand has a tendency when it comes to violence against children, whether it be sexual or domestic violence, to be not good on the league tables. Where are we sitting currently? Well, Help New Zealand released to a group called Rioza who walked the length and breadth of New Zealand last year highlighting the issue and Help gave the stats, which were then up to one in three girls by the time they turned 16 will have been sexually abused in our country, one in three. By the time our boys have turned 16, up to one in four to six boys will have been, but the police are at pains to point out it's more likely that it's one in four. Uh, So our stats are through the roof. We are among the world leaders in this. Um, This is not often reported for various reasons, but where's the noise, Marie? Mm. The billboards, where is the outcry? Where is the the action around Mm. We don't even have in our country um, a law that states if you are aware of child sexual abuse, you need to report it. That is not even it's not even here in New Zealand. It's just come into the UK. Uh, you will be charged and prosecuted if you do not report a known child sexual abuse incident. Mm. So it's a multifaceted problem, I suspect, between children who really unaware of what's going on and if their abusers are within their family or a trusted person I'm assuming that that first point of contact is overrepresented by that group over 93 percent of cases of child sexual abuse are through people known to the child and the family so let's think about that for a moment the seven percent remaining are the ones who will take a child off the street or find a way to grab them. But if if 93% are known to the child and family, who's still we got a problem? Mm. And that also too dictates an element of trust. So then that means that the child has an element of trust, that trust gets broken. So how does how does a child then communicate something that's happened to them that they're trying to process with people around them that they thought they could trust, but they now no longer can. I mean, I see that it has been a huge issue. Well, and gosh, really great questions. Thank you so much, because this is going to help inform so many amazing parents and caregivers out there. That For children, it's multi-layered and complex. So for some children, we know that most children will not voluntarily say, this is happening to me, or he's abused me or she's abused me because usually what happens is they've been groomed and by that I mean they've either been groomed and bribed or groomed and manipulated either way the child has no power the child has no real voice and the perpetrator is skilled enough to probably have groomed the parents as well and this is where we need to sit up because parents are being groomed 
uh, to think this person is a safe, trusted adult, and they're clearly not. So part of how I'm addressing this in our beautiful country and across the world is I released a Global Awareness Day, June 16, with my charity called Handing the Shame Back. That's what survivors do when we speak. And part of that, Marie, is a global hand signal for children to use if they're being abused and not safe. Mm. And that hand signal is an open palm facing outwards, thumb across the palm, fingers down across the palm. That in itself means so that that's two-layered. One, children understanding that hand signal, but also adults, the adults that are able to provide help, need to understand what those signals are. I heard an interview that you have done just recently, but how many other outlets, how many other people surely should be taking that information and running running with it? Are you getting the message out there or are you being stonewalled? Is this a too tricky a subject to discuss? I think you heard the interview I did on News Talk ZB. I did. I'm a little kind of surprised that New Zealand are picking this up and and we're not everywhere with it because it's about our children and grandchildren. This simple sign is a tool children can use because, as I said, children don't speak, but they show us through their behaviour and body language. All the time they're telling us a story, yeah? Mm-hmm. We have to learn to read it. Um, what ha- what happens is over in America and Australia, they love it. They love me. They're so grateful. New Zealand must be so proud of you. How fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, and down here, crickets. Do you think now that the, the film has come out in the United States? Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom in the United States. I know that there is some petitioning to get the film screened in this country, and I really do hope we do. Uh, The film stars Jim Haverzell. There was a Mel Gibson connection there as well. I think he has been helping. Was he a producer or is he? Funding and helping with the production, I think. So this production is packing out theatres in the United States. But again, they're seeing a level of censorship over there. It's like, oh, no, we can't talk about this in polite society. And it's actually been an underground movement through social media and communities and alternative media such as this that are packing the theatres out there. I think as it's about to launch in Australia or may have just launched there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, your awareness around that film? Certainly. So I've been fortunate to get a copy. I have been asked by people in New Zealand that when it lands, could I please perhaps talk in front of the theatre group or or crowds who arrive, simply because I'm a survivor of child sex trafficking, so I've got some idea of what that experience is like. The film itself is over five years old. That's how long it's taken them to fight their way to being able to release it. It's out there. It focuses on children that have been taken from their homes and uh, sold into pedophile rings. The point is this, and I just want to make this distinction. I'm sure Operation Underground Railroad are fully aware of the amount of children that are being uh, trafficked from their own homes or through their own families or people associated but the film doesn't show that. So I'm just here to say there's quite a big uh, percentage of children in our country today being trafficked, and we know Maria Makamo exposed that. We know that there's not a lot happening as prevention in that space. 
So, Marie, I just can't sit back. I had to provide a hand signal, and I'm also launching and releasing my latest book in October this year, which I think you'll love. I'm going to show you the image of this, and it's called Keeping Children Safe, a roadmap for teachers, parents, and others. And I think the reason we need that is because I think the point is parents, teachers, and others are stuck. And so what that means is that we don't actually have a a situation where where they can be resourced or or helped and parents don't know what what to do. Mm. Just so we're really clear, for the amazing parents out there, you know, they're doing their absolute best with what they do know. Mm. And for the safe ones and the beautiful caring adults around us, we know that they will do anything to protect. The reality being that we also we also need to not just resource them, but resource the children as well. And yeah. so that's what the, the book is. I, I just feel we need to provide people with this information. And if they don't have it, they can't act. And mm. that's that's the real concern as far as I'm concerned. So this is one of the questions that I've got, and feel free not to, to, to dive into this. Sure. But if you're saying one in three girls have experienced sexual abuse, the police, they think it's one in four to one in six boys. Yep. Why then is there not more resourcing, education and awareness in our high schools and the government and the Ministry of Education engaging with groups to educate teens and tweens of the dangers and the signals and the things that they can do if they fall into this, as opposed to the millions and millions of dollars that get spent on identitarianism in terms of homosexuality, bisexuality, and transition, which by their own admission, is only a very small percentage of children. To me, this is this is upside down world. And again, I would have thought that the children that identify in those categories would be at a much higher risk again of child sex abuse. I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you, Marie. I But I also see, because I have had conversations with the police about this, they do do things. They have a program called, just trying to think of what it is, but they they go into schools and they run programs with different levels. And part of that is around child sexual abuse. So they are trying to do something. You know, just as a survivor myself at school, uh, when back in those days, there was nothing like this. But the point being, there just needs to be, we can't, over uh, resource parents, caregivers, adults, and children, and I think that's where I'm. I'm kind of thinking, well, if uh, we've, I've got to do something, mm. so here's the book cover. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Uh, the book cover is great. It's got the the icons. Uh, so if you ever are a person who is having to use navigation and Google Maps or anything like that, there is a little red arrow icon with a circle in the middle, and it is essentially showing two points between one point and another using that icon and and a line on how to travel to get there. So it, no, it is it is utterly fantastic. So that book's out in October. There have been some people doing some work in the space, and I think very very slowly some information is coming through. I know I've been following a little bit Maggie Oliver in the United Kingdom. Uh, yes. She's yes, posted her. Uh, I've, we've had a panel discussion, including her, which yeah. I've run with her and Annika Lucas and yeah. Sean Atwood. Yep, no, well. she's so for the listeners. Uh, Maggie is a. I, I think she's retired now. She was a serving police officer. And she has been working tirelessly, especially to highlight the sexual grooming gangs, particularly within the Pakistani Bangladeshi communities, predominantly Islamic foundation, because culturally, this is more accepted, whereas, of course, in a Western context, it should not be accepted at all. Uh, So she's been doing a lot of work, but she's hitting brick walls as well. I mean, she's hitting the brick wall that she can't expose this uh, with the cultural and religious basis that it is because therefore she's been racist. The blocks that are put in the way, to me, we have three specific groups. We have the children who are not safe. We have the abusers who are thrilled that the silence is there, but we equally have the gatekeepers and enablers, and let me just qualify. The gatekeepers are the ones that allow or disallow access to the pedophiles, so things are blocked, things like, but you're being racist, or who are you, Gloria Masters, to design this sign and release this? Like, what? Who Almost who gave you permission? Then there are the enablers who know something's wrong. It might be the partner who thinks he's hanging around that kid a bit much. Or why is my child withdrawing from her a lot and Nick just wants to cling to me whenever she's in the room? Because that's the other thing, up to 30% of pedophiles are women. But that's never talked about either. But the point is, because we've got three disparate groups and the silence is deafening, I call this a silent endemic, what happens is the only group it serves, of course, are the pedophiles. It's on us as the adults in a first world country or a caring society to actually protect our children and do everything we can. The problem is people, good people like you, can find it really uncomfortable to talk about. And, hey, I get that. It's not a nice topic. I'm not saying you do, Marie, but I'm using you as an example. It's uncomfortable for people and they don't know what to do with it. And there's also the NIMBY, not in my backyard. It's not happening to my kids. It's not happening to anyone I know or care about. Therefore, it's nothing to do with me. So there's a bit of distancing. Equally, you'll get people that will try and shut survivors like me down, which is, oh, do you still need to talk about that? Isn't don't you have other things happening in your life? Uh, do, you know, have you not been able to move on? <laughs> which is another way of shutting this down. And then, of course, you get the pedophiles rubbing their hands with glee. This is highly typical. And there's a little myth out there that it only happens in lower socioeconomic or 
the specific groups or cultures within societies. No, it's everywhere. It's across mm. all levels. On the show, I talk a little bit about culture and critical social justice and critical theory, often known as wokeism. One of the things within the ideology is a openness and acceptance around people's identity and state of being and how they identify. And of course, the current battleground is gender as opposed to biological sex. Tied up in all of this is the reclassification and the renaming of absolutely everything. They like to, what I call, almost dehumanize and tone down elements of our society to make them more palatable. And one of those is pedophilia and pedophiles, which are now supposed to be referred to as minor attracted persons. What are your thoughts around this, Gloria? My heart sinks as I hear you say that. Again, it's another way to minimise or glamorise or sanitise people to accepting that pedophilia is okay. So one of the things I think we need to be aware of is that society is being groomed as well. So people think it's just children. No, it's not. It's us in society because the more that people talk about this type of issue, uh, the more people hear it, the more they start to think it maybe it is okay. No, it is not. Repeat after me, it is not. These are children. Children do not have the cognitive ability to stand up to an adult. And I don't care whether they are four or 16 years of age, they do not have that within them because conditioning suggests a child will respect the adult. This term needs to be crucified for what it is. It's giving permission for evil to exist. And then I just want to clarify something or point something out. Marie, there's a little myth out there that This pedophilia and this child sex trafficking and sexual abuse only began 10 years ago. You know what? I've been around for a long time and it was happening in the 60s and 70s. This has been going on since time began. And I think it's time that children should be protected and that the adults who are tasked with protecting them should be respected to lead the charge. Ask me who the experts on children are. Who are the experts on children, Gloria? The parents. The parents. Stop listening to people that tell you otherwise. You are the expert. You know your child. You know by the turn of a head or a tone of voice whether something's up or not. Listen to your instinct. You are the parent. Mm. We need to stop giving permission to be conditioned by outside of us. But what I do is I tend to pan back and ask myself, who does it serve to have pedophiles renamed as minor attracted persons? The pedophiles. Wrong. So I think we need to just always take Mm. a step back and ask the question, who is this serving? Uh, because it's not serving the children. So it's interesting what you say around parents, because as a parent, and also as a parent in a traditional nuclear family unit, which I feel is becoming an endangered species these days, 
we are getting stymied by the organisations that we entrust our children to. The education system, for example, as one example, is the grooming you talked about, I think has uh, the governments, and especially in the last six years, have groomed parents that, you know, you take your child uh, once they're of school age to this place where we have to have a trust in the system, built into the system, that our child will be safe between nine and three. And I think physically that child is safe in that space between nine and three. And I'm sure for many children who are in a dangerous place outside of school, that is their safe place, is that school between nine and three. But those within that system are now with this ideology, those teachers traditionally would have been the ones that, particularly if the abuse was perpetrated by the parents or enabled by the parents, they would have been that that alarm bell, wouldn't they? They would have been the canary in the coal mine who would have rung the bell and said, mm, I think we, we might need to dig deeper here. Is that still happening or are they now with all the new identification and as you said, the the change in attitudes? Are, they, are these kids not even able to go into that safe space and environment and express themselves? And if they do, it just gets sort of, diluted away into the milieu of what is now current popular culture? Look, to be honest, it's so incredibly confusing for the adults, I can't even begin to imagine what the impact is on children. Mm. I know children are very confused. I spoke to a teacher friend of mine the other day who said she had an eight-year-old boy and he didn't know which toilet to go into. The point is, again, all we do, Marie, is stand back and ask who is this serving? Because mm. I think for children, it's just so confusing. Yeah, I, I kind of trust what children do and what they, how they behave. If they are gender diverse as a parent, you will know that. You will not need to inform your child of that. You will see that. You will sense that. You, you are the expert. You will, you will know. This child is not identifying or or seeing himself as a boy. Mm. It's okay because as the parent, you'll do what you can to help smooth the path. I think we have to uh, allow parents to be parents. Mm. But I want to raise something that you've alluded to without realising, and thank you, these are such good questions. Parents don't know what to do, and so they will follow the status quo. And I think what's happening, and it's across the board, is they're becoming desensitised to things that they need to be highly sensitised to, one being the minor attracted persons, because, again, it doesn't serve anybody. But I think the other um, thing I, I want to raise is that in our country, Pedophiles who are convicted, when once released, can change their names legally by DPOP. Oh, and also, well, not only their names, they can also change their sex identification now too, as of last month. Yes. So the problem for me is this is a red flag because we know in the UK until, well, it's still not law there. Some pedophiles have changed their names 10 times in 10 years. 
just be aware that the whole gatekeeping and enabling of all of this is highly prevalent. But the point I want to bring you back to, not to confuse you, I hope I'm not, is this. We have to be mindful as well that not every parent is a good parent. As in my case, I was abused and sold by my parents. So mm-hmm. that's the that's the caliber of them, not. I guess what I'm saying is for children that, that maybe start using the hand signal or start trying to disclose to a safe adult at school, which is where I was safe as a kid, we need to resource teachers as well because they may have an instinct that this child is fearful around a parent or it could be that that parent is an abuser. So there's a whole lot of layers around this, Marie, and unfortunately child sexual abuse and incest is huge. So, yeah, there's there's Mm -hmm. multi-layers and uh, we need a big noise around it. And the difficulty too is that there are so many drivers of this. There is the the poverty and social drivers. Yes. There is the familial drivers in terms of, you know, are they from a cool, stable, traditional family background or is it a broken family? Then you throw on the ethnic and cultural elements with this, which there are societies where things are more permissive than others. And that's even before you get into the grooming with social media and the and I mean the oversexualization of children in film and television now. And I don't consider myself prudish, but even I'm kind of like, whoa, whoa. And I look at the the ratings, you know, and I think to myself, hmm, the censors seem to be more permissive on sexualized content when it comes to applying a rating than what they are with, say, violence or drug use or even cigarette smoking. Why is it, you know, why is it we have elements like, say, cigarette cigarette cessation? Let's use this because, I, again, with Denise, this came up. She talked about the five different barriers to stop demand for people within the sex trade and to, to break that down. But in terms of child trafficking, those things would be the same. We put all this effort into smoking cessation. And yet, with one in three girls being sexually abused before the the age of 16, what are we spending and what are we putting into place for those girls? It it horrifies me. I don't know. I wish I could do more. But we, we need to resource our parents, caregivers, teachers, everyone. In my uh, little way, I'm just I'm thinking a hand signal would have worked. If if I'd had a hand signal as a kid, could have saved me, Marie. Mm. You see, yeah. and it's what we need to stop expecting children to talk. That is an adult construct. Children don't talk; they play. They show us their behaviour. So I think we've we've got to be educated. We've got to be informed, and it would be great if if New Zealand would pick this up and to me, it should be across the Harbour Bridge. It should be on every billboard. There should be, um, you know, a lot going on with this. Talking about Disney movies, there is not a Disney movie or a musical release that does not have a young child gyrating or, or made to look sexually appealing. That, that is also us being groomed. Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, come on, at what point? Um, and the thing that upsets me about that, there was a Netflix movie, and for the life of me, I can't think of the name of it, but it was um, was 
around cheerleaders and these girls were around sort of 10, 11 years old and it was quite uh, lots of highly sexualized dancing in it. And that came out a few years back and there was a, a cry in the United States around that. The other side of the political aisle just shut that down straight away and said, oh, it's the conservative, it's those conservative Christians complaining again. Now, I might be an old fuddy-duddy and a bit conservative, but I'm, I'm not a Christian and I have sons, but even I saw excerpts of that film and I thought to myself, ooh, you know, that's creepy. Yep. Yeah. It was creepy. You mentioned it before about the enablers and the gatekeepers. That's the difficulty. I don't know about you, but I feel the last six years, our government have both been enablers and gatekeepers on issues such as this. Because the, I feel like they are literally killing this country with hashtag be kindness. They're killing it with be kindness. Be kind. You can't, no, we can't talk about this because it's, we need to be kind. Oh, we can't, yeah, oh no, that will upset the monotractive persons. We need to be kind. What about the children? No, they're pedophiles. They're pedophiles. If we don't, we say we, say we care about the children. Do we? Do we? You know, I, I presented to a group of Rotarians recently, but it was was actually lovely, Marie. I had 85-year-olds doing the hand signal, repeating mm. after me, and actually it was due to them that I got on News Talk ZB. So even though it was three and a half minutes or whatever, the point is mm. they were supportive, and I think we just need to spread the word. Yeah. Yeah. You say you care about children. My response is share the hand signal. Yeah. Show us. Do it. So we're going to make sure that we get all of Gloria's details. I'm talking with Gloria Masters, author and advocate for children, particularly those in child abuse situations. What are some of the things, just quickly before we wind up, what are some of the things, one is getting that hand signal out there, but if you're a parent, as a parent, you are concerned about potentially maybe another child in this fear. Where can those parents go to potentially help that child, particularly if the family situation that child is in is not safe? So, yeah. So, look, there's wraparound services. There are some good police out there, some detectives in the child protection unit uh, who are happy to help. There are also people within the medical profession. I'd certainly be talking to a doctor initially because they have a duty of care. You see, once you go to a, a hub, they have a duty of care to get all other professionals in on the case. And then finally, if you're not sure what to do as a parent, talk ring helpline or ring help. And they are our Auckland-based provider for child sexual abuse. If you ring them, they've got an 0800 number or safe to talk, they will be able to provide some resource and support. Um, we'll, I'll get all those details of Gloria and we will have them with our inbox team if anyone wants to be able to get hold of those. Yeah, I just wanted to just say I've written a couple of books that may support adult survivors because, again, in our country, the up to one in three, there's a, over a million walking around with this as a damaged aspect and they are in the shadows and partly why handing the shame back has been established is so that they have a safe haven and a place to be. So I've just published this morning a Lake Alice interview with Dilworth 
run by me on my YouTube channel to help expose what's going on and ways to get resource and support. And that YouTube channel is just under Gloria Masters? I, everything's handing the shame back. Handing the shame back. There we go. So YouTube, handing the shame back. Website? For books and speaking and coaching events, GloriaMasters.com. Excellent. The film you mentioned earlier, because I know that that's potentially one of the things we're going to get questions on. You mentioned the film before, Sound of Freedom. Are there moves afoot, Gloria, for you to actually have an event to screen that film? Well, we're looking at that. There's a group of us, Nats, uh, Natalie, who Welsh, yeah. is part of a group that's trying to get that into the country and have me talk at that screening. So I think it would be really important that as soon as we have, there's a change org uh, petition going around online to try and get that into our country. I think it should be here. Right, we will definitely stay in touch. And also too, if you want to check out Gloria's previous interview with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Up Your Brave, do go over to realitycheck.radio backslash replays, uh, have a look at Natalie's page and you will find that interview there. So do also go and reference that as well. Either myself or Natalie will make sure that we keep people up to date uh, if that actually event takes place, because I think people will definitely be very, very keen to see that film. Uh, look, Gloria, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, stay in touch too. I, th- I mean, it's important that as this journey continues, uh, definitely when your book launches, I'd love to talk to you actually a little bit more about that once that's out. So that's October. So that's, there we go. We can set a date, Gloria, <laughs> to catch up again. So that would be wonderful. Don't disappear, everybody, because of course, Media Matters is still to come. And I have a new man in the hot seat, a new man in my life in the hot seat. So don't disappear. This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio.